it's an experience of being able to tell your partner something that you've never been able to say before, but that's very important to you. Um, it's an experience of growth that usually brings people closer, ultimately. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Smart Sex, candid, confident conversation about sexuality for women. What happens behind the closed door in a sex therapist's office? Do people get undressed? Do couples actually have sex in front of the therapist? How do you know when you could use the help of a sex therapist? In this podcast, two therapists who specialize in sexuality. A bit later, we'll hear from Dr. Erica Marchand. She's a psychologist who practices in Los Angeles, and she'll talk to us about how to decide when a sex therapist could help. But first, Dr. Madeline Castellanos. She's a New York-based psychiatrist, petite, straightforward, quick to laugh. Madeline knows this is a big step for couples. You see a lot of couples in your practice, right? Yes. Is part of your practice uh, trying to initiate or make those conversations between couples more fluid to take some of the embarrassment and shame out of it? That's a great deal of what I do with the couples because whenever there is anxiety, let's, let's take an example of anxiety that causes some erectile dysfunction and then there's a question of like, well, maybe you're not attracted to me anymore. And the entire dynamic of their sexual interaction starts to become affected. And there might be some avoidance because they're, like you said, embarrassment. And now they're not talking about it or talking about it only in very reactive ways that it's emotionally charged. And this is this will break down conversations immediately. And so it's about facilitating, okay, well, how can you communicate to your partner and how can you stop yourself from taking the most negative interpretation about what's happening in the moment? Because that's what people do. They immediately think, oh, it must be that you don't like me and perhaps you never liked me and you must like other people much more. And, and I'm like, where did you go? Where did you come up with this? That's a product of your own mind. So it's pointing out, hey, let's find ways. You both want the same thing, really. Let's find ways to talk about it, to open up the conversation to decrease the anxiety, to stop jumping to the worst possible conclusion because that is going to zap all the sexiness and eroticism right out of it. You, you've used the word anxiety quite a bit in our conversation. That, that sounds like it's a big roadblock in, in a fulfilling sexual relationship. Is that true? I think anxiety is the number one cause of sexual dysfunction. <laughs> is it really? Wow. Absolutely. Where's it come yeah. from? Well, so there's the normal performance anxiety that people experience. There's also the the fact that the more you really, really are invested in someone liking you and accepting you, then the more anxious you are that you're going to do things right or that you're going to be able to please them so that they continue wanting to be with you. So consequently, I see men who have no trouble having erections with women that they care very little about. And the moment they meet a woman that they are so, so crazy about, they are so anxious because they just want it to go so well that that's when they get erectile dysfunction. And they're like, I don't understand. I really like her. And it makes perfect sense to me when you think about how it's the anxiety aspect that is shutting down the arousal and making the problem-solving part of your brain 
totally active while the more primitive limbic system is trying to just kind of get things rolling but can't because it's in like danger mode from anxiety. Can I ask you as a sex therapist how you how you begin to counsel couples on that? Well, I take a very extensive history of not only what the difficulty is that they're having right now, but what's gone on in their lives previously, what are their attitudes about sex and sexuality, how do they feel about themselves and their own bodies, how do they learn about it, and then I notice what styles of communication do they have, is there something that's keeping them from communicating, do they want similar things, or are they on very two very different pages, and there's very different approaches. I mean, with some, with some people, it's a matter of just giving them a little bit of information. And I've had couples that within two or three sessions, they're good. <laughs> Whereas others really stay for months of work because it's about really finding how to commu- re- reestablish a good communication with each other and correct the dynamics, unwinding some of the patterns that have been created through avoidance emotional um, reactivity. So it, it does vary a lot, but I like to point out what's, how they're communicating with each other, and I think most important is for each one to start to put themselves in the other person's shoes so that they can start to empathize with that person. It really does facilitate communication and wanting happiness and success for their partners. You know, you sound like a really warm receptive person, but it's got to be a scary thing to come into a sex therapist as a couple. Thank you. Thanks for the the warm part. I imagine that it is, and I tell people from the very first session, I'm going to ask you about things that are very personal, and you probably wouldn't discuss them with anybody anywhere, and they can be very anxiety-provoking. However, I can only help you with what you bring into the session. So I'm going to encourage you to be as open and honest as you can because that's the way that I can best help you. Do do couples think that this is going to be about coming in and taking off their clothes and (laughs) (laughs) having you doing some observation or something? I have had quite a few people ask me on the phone if that's what's going to be happening. And I I disabuse them of that notion right away. (laughs) What what do they ask? So they say, well, sometimes it's... It's not necessarily couples that think that that's going to happen. They say, well, am I going to have to touch my partner? Are we going to have to do things in the office? <laughs> and I explain, well, you know, it's, it's talk therapy based. We're going to be talking a lot about what's happening. And I may send you home with exercises to do at home, but you're not going to have to be taking off your clothes or doing anything explicit in the office. Then, of course, there's the calls that I get from guys who I think are just looking for perhaps surrogates or escorts or something and... I quickly tell them, I'm sorry, this is, I'm not really who you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> what kinds of exercises might you send a couple home with? So sensate focus exercises, which are the classic Masters and Johnson's technique for mm-hmm. sex therapy, mm-hmm. are really progressive exercises that start off with touch. And they, they help the couples reconnect physically in progressive ways so that there's no, there's not the pressure of having to have penetration from the very beginning. So it really helps address anxiety. And through the process, you first start touching very gently on very neutral parts of the body and then see what thoughts come up and we process those. And then 
in subsequent sessions, they progress on to getting closer and closer to having sex and then eventually having sex, depending on, you know, what the difficulty they, they are having. So some exercises could be the sensate focus exercises. There are many times that I will give people instructions on changing the way that they masturbate or exploring different ways of masturbating or focusing on their sensations in a different way while they're masturbating because that may help with anxiety when people are sometimes lost in anxious thoughts of like, oh, am I pleasing my partner? Do they like this? Am I going to be able to keep my erection? So I'm teaching them to focus on the pleasure aspect, to be really connected in their bodies, sort of like a sexual mindfulness, really. Um, that's a great phrase, sexual mindfulness. I mean, you're bringing, you're bringing this sense of enrichment and wholeness into an area of our lives that I don't think we connect with that often enough. I, I think that's why I ended up doing what I do because all of the sexu sexuality was still, and sexual medicine was sort of outcast, sort of orphaned out, outside of medicine. And I thought, how could I be a doctor and not be able to talk to my patients about sex when I have this woman in my office saying, I'm just getting divorced and I don't know if I've ever had an orgasm, but my husband was not a very good lover and didn't really want to talk to me about it. So what do I do now? And I thought, this woman needs help. And why shouldn't I speak to her about sex? And why shouldn't I help her enrich her life and explore what's good for her? Because that's going to translate into healthier relationships, probably more stable families. And overall, doesn't that benefit society? In all ways. I mean, that's exactly what this, our pro you've articulated exactly what our project <laughs> is about. You know, having these yeah. kinds of enriching experiences and how that influences your overall idea of what it is to be a whole happy person. Exactly. You can't separate that part of you. It is you. It is life energy. They are one and the same. It's how you channel it. And I think to think about sexuality any other way is to not give it the, the credit that it's due. It, it's such a vital part of our life. I mean, when you think about having a healthy sexuality, it gives you vitality. I mean, we know that physically there's tons of benefits. I mean, 50% less heart attack risk, protection against dementia, better-looking skin, lower blood pressure, better stress levels, even your eyesight's better because your blood flows better. Everything gets better when you have a ha healthy sex life. So it is not a separate part of our physiology, of our health. And for anybody to treat it that way, it's really doing a disservice to it. Dr. Madeline Castellanos. Want to hear what she said on being ruthless about pleasure? You can find that podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Now to Dr. Erica Marchand on how to know when it might be time to see a sex therapist. She's a Los Angeles-based psychologist with a warm, open expression. She's sympathetic without being syrupy, and she, too, uses humor to diffuse the initial squirminess couples might feel when they sit down in her office. It's an intimidating decision, after all. These are private things we often only share with a partner or a close friend. 
Erica knows how intimidating making that first appointment with a sex therapist can be. Well, I think on a very basic level, it's content that's pretty personal and private for people. And I think on one level, a lot of people are just concerned about the process of talking about something so personal and so intimate with a stranger or talking about it with anybody. Um, I think that's probably the number one thing that gets in the way. The other thing that happens is if somebody's never been to therapy for sexual concerns, they might not know what happens. I've had a fair number of people wondering if there's actually sexual uh, stuff that happens in the session. <laughs> like like you're going to ask them to have sex, right? Exactly. Or I'm going to ask them to masturbate right there on the couch or something like that, which is oh absolutely 100% never the case. <laughs> so. Why do people think this? Well, I think media is one part of it. We have a lot of really great TV and movie content out there that shows kind of stylized movie versions of what might happen in sex therapy. Um, and then also I think people might confuse things like Masters and Johnson research, for example, mm -hmm. you know, the Masters of Sex show that's oh, on yeah. right now. I watch Just it. Just for example. It's great. Yeah. And they did amazing work. But I think sometimes people also might confuse that type of thing and also that time and place and history with what might happen today. So uh, I think there are just a lot of of fears out there about what they might, what people might have to reveal and what, you know, they might be asked to do that are fairly uncomfortable. In addition to, it's just content that people are inherently private about most people. I think those are some of the biggest barriers. You know, I, I should ask you though, mm -hmm. why, why wouldn't you ask people to uh, you know, demonstrate maybe what's what they feel isn't going right sexually. Mm -hmm. I mean, why isn't that done? Yeah. Well, that is a great question, actually. I think the most fundamental answer is legal and ethical boundaries of being a psychologist, which is what I am. It's just outside what I can do, really, legally, within the scope of my license, to be physical with people or to ask people to do physical things. There's a really fine line um, and a lot of concern about, you know, people's rights and well-being in, in therapy. But outside of that, I think your question's a great one because there are other kinds of professionals, body workers, um, there are sex, sexuality therapists who aren't psychologists or, or who, people who don't fall under the same ethical and legal guidelines who specifically do work with couples on body and physical, well, what am I trying to say? On, on the physical component of sex. I think that's the right way to say it. And it can be really, really helpful for people because if you are able to have hands-on, in-the-moment observation and feedback about what's happening between you and your partner, sometimes it's really helpful and sometimes it's more helpful than going home, doing homework exercises, and coming back and talking about it in the session, which is what I tend to do with people. So it, it's, a great, it's a great question and people differ in whether they would want to do that and how comfortable they are with that. But sometimes it can be really helpful. Erica, how often do people show, couples show up in your office having mm -hmm. not had sex for, you know, a really long time? Frequently, frequently. You know, I was looking through your other podcasts just before the show or just before the interview here, and I was noticing that you had... Um, 
the woman who wrote Wanting Lori Watson. Wanting Sex Again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking that is the number one thing that couples show up to my office for. And it's not uncommon for people to show up not having sex for a year or more sometimes. Wow. Yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, one of the things that Dr. Watson told me was that within a couple of years, a third mm-hmm. of all couples are in a sexless marriage. And I thought, these are probably wow. couples who never would have dreamt, you know, at the right. beginning of the relationship when you're having mm-hmm. lots of sex and intimacy, that they would find mm-hmm. themselves in that place so soon. No, and that that number is really surprising even to me, and within a few years, right? I think you're absolutely right. I don't think anybody ever expects that that's going to be their situation. Um, But then so many things can happen in a relationship. Everybody's busy these days. That's one thing. Kids are another thing that happens. That puts a lot of time pressure and changes things in terms of roles in the relationship. Frequently, too, I think for a lot of us, we're used to the idea that our sex life is driven by spontaneous desire, mm-hmm. that we're going to be, you know, we're always going to feel the way that we feel about our partner in terms of looking over at them and wanting to have sex with them sort of automatically, like it is at the beginning of the relationship for a lot of people. And so when that inevitably changes, because it, it does for most couples over time, um, I think we can be at a little bit of a loss about how to go about um, maintaining a sex life then. If, that, if that's not happening anymore, there's a way that it can feel less natural to um, continue having sex. And that's, that's a big part of what I do with people. And then, uh, you know, in years of a relationship, most people have the experience of having conflict, having disagreements. You know, we all realize the ways that our partners aren't um, perfect and aren't going to meet our needs exactly the way we thought they were. <laughs> Stuff you um, knew at the beginning of the relationship, and you thought, "Oh, uh, I can change him or her. I'll so change be it. Great. Yeah. It'll be fine. It's endearing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and all that stuff becomes water under the bridge. And I think some some of that creates distance between people that they're that can decrease people's, you know, desire or willingness or openness to having sex with each other. That can happen too. Um, Are couples, when you're working with a couple, and and by the way, how long, what's the average length of time that you would work with a couple? Yeah, you know, I can give you the average, but I will say that it varies widely. Um, In my practice, I think the average length of therapy is about six months, six to nine months, if I'm remembering right, Mm -hmm. just looking at my own numbers. And that will vary from person to person. Um, But I will say that it varies pretty widely. Some people come and have a relatively specific concern and not a lot of other relationship issues going on. And for those people, it might be a shorter term um, therapy. Other people come in and have more stuff going on. Maybe there's been sexual trauma. Maybe it's been years since they've had sex. Maybe there's also a lot of other underlying conflict and hurt feelings and uh, to get through um, a lot of kind of entrenched relationship behaviors that haven't been helpful. And that those are longer term. Um, that's longer term work. 
Do you find that once you've been working with couples for a while, you know, they're saying things to one another that what that that they've never said before, that they've been afraid mm-hmm. to say to each other? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Frequently, frequently. Um, people will say that it's once they're sort of comfortable in the process of therapy, it's the contained, it's the containment of, of how the conversation goes in the room that allows people to say things that they wouldn't have said before. It's that. And then also, I think in the process of couples therapy, ideally people start to feel a little bit safer with their partners emotionally. So so start to trust that their partner understands them, their partner's going to respond in a way that's constructive, um, so people can open up a little bit more and be more vulnerable and trust that it's going to go okay. Um, but yeah, that happens all the time. Um, it happens all the time, and I think it can be a really beautiful thing. I think sometimes partners are afraid of that, like what's going to come out in therapy right. that I don't know, right. are we opening up a can of worms? Yeah. But I... and. And tr- truly, sometimes the things that get said can be surprising and and potentially disappointing or unintentionally hurtful or just really sensitive, um, and we have to work through them. Um, but I think often it's a really, it's an experience of being able to tell your partner something that you've never been able to say before, but that's very important to you. Um, it's an experience of growth that usually brings people closer, ultimately. Um, I was remembering that Lori Watson told me that she and her husband laugh a lot during sex. And I I was thinking that maybe the playfulness of sex starts to diminish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the longer you're in a relationship and it starts to be influenced by all the other stuff that's going on in your lives. I mean, is this something that you talk to couples about, you know, restoring that sense of playfulness that makes sex fun? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's so funny that you say that. I was just talking to a couple about this yesterday, um, and it is a theme that comes up over and over again. Because for a lot of my couples, what happens is a process that looks something like we used to have sex, something happened in our relationship, either, either something identifiable or just slowly over time, where we stopped having as much sex and had more difficulties and then stopped having sex altogether. And then sex becomes this big looming thing and it's an obligation and it's something that we're not doing and it's something that there are all these bad feelings around and it just becomes very heavy and weighted and unpleasant um, to think about. So I talk with people about, well, A, I talk with people about what they want their sex life to look like, to reorient to what, what are the adjectives that would describe what you actually want and what people will often say is I want it to be pleasurable. I want it to be, you know, easy. I want it to be happy. I want it to be playful. I want it to be spontaneous. And so getting a sense of what people actually want helps us know the direction that we're going. So this is what we're aiming for. And within that, then I try to ask people to identify. So if you could think of some activities that would be playful or pleasurable or fun or spontaneous, what would those be? And it doesn't have to be intercourse, right? It doesn't even have to be sexual, but are there things that they can imagine doing together that are somewhat physical that would embody those qualities that they're looking for? That's sometimes a place that we start. 
Um, other times, too, there's a kind of a classic set of exercises in sex therapy called Sensate Focus that were developed by um, Masters and Johnson, actually. And they're a, a series of touch exercises where um, couples will make a date with each other to get together and um, at the beginning, anyway, touch each other, just, you know, kind of like giving a massage, but not like you have to really try to give a professional massage, but to touch each other in a way that's just pleasurable. There's no sex involved. You have your clothes on. There's nothing, um, there's nothing pressured or demanding about the situation. You're not trying to get anywhere. And for a lot of people, that can be a place to start of reintroducing non-pressured, non-demand touch into their life as a couple in a way that feels easy and is likely to be pleasurable. So there's a there's a couple routes there and there's more more than that, but there are a few routes to get there. Um, but those are some of the things that I use a lot. I mean, are there any games that you recommend for couples? You know, just mm-hmm. and I don't even really mean sex toys, just they're kind of fun games that lighten things up in the bedroom. Oh, I love that idea. You know, I don't have any games in particular that I recommend to people. I will often tell people um, who are wanting to feel more kind of more newness and more excitement and more passion for their relationship and their partner. I will talk with them about what's something fun and new that you guys could do together that would be a little bit exciting. Like, do you want to go ride roller coasters? Do you, you know, as part of your date, do you want to (laughs) take a surfing lesson together as part of your date? You know, stuff that is exciting and a little bit scary and something that you have to really, you know, work together to do. Sometimes that's something that helps people feel differently and new in new ways toward their partners. Um, but in terms of specific games in the bedroom, I don't have anything structured that I use. That's a really interesting idea though. We've been, uh, we've been thinking about this, Erica, my partner and I, and Mm -hmm. we've developed a, a game we call pillow play. Oh, and it's basically just these, it's essentially these little cards that have fun and sexy sayings on them and you slip one of them under the pillow of your beloved Uh maybe in the morning maybe in the afternoon and you let the anticipation build up a little bit and then then the partner opens the card that night and you proceed to do what's on the card and it's kind of playful and fun you like the idea of that (laughs) I do that's fantastic and it's kind of a surprise and you um oh I love that and you get to sort of anticipate and think about what it is and then you just go for it whatever's on the card assuming that both people are on board that's really great I like that a lot I'm glad Uh, see the anticipate you've picked up exactly on what we we've been thinking about the anticipation is such a big part of the pleasure of sex and I feel like people forget it you know when when your dating years are gone I feel like people forget about how much fun that anticipation is. Yes, yes, it's so true. It starts to feel mundane. Sex can start to feel mundane Um, or just, you know, for people, for people who are having sex in their relationship, I think sometimes it just feels sort of readily available and, and, and um, familiar for people who, who aren't having sex. The, there's not a lot of anticipation there because there are problems. But yeah, the anticipation is so 
key, I think, that, you know, everybody knows that feeling of the deliciousness of desiring something that you can't quite have yet or you're, you're going to have later. It's a big part of the pleasure that happens ultimately from getting it or experiencing it or, or having it. Psychologist and sex therapist Erica Marchand. To see the books she recommends for couples, go to smartsex.org. That's where you can also sign up for our Smart Sex newsletter. And if you like this podcast, we ask that you spread the word about smart sex by reviewing and sharing it. SmartSex.org was created by me, Carrie Miller, and my co-enthusiast-in-chief, Teresa McFarlane. Tiffany Hansen is director of content and podcast production. The amazing Jennifer Larson is our lead producer. Lisa Ehrman helps us with editing. We record SmartSex at the On Being Studios in Minneapolis. Special, special thanks to Krista Tippett, Trent Gillis, and Chris Hegel. And a big shout-out to Clockwork in Minneapolis for their digital design and strategy check them out at clockwork.com find out everything you always wanted to know about sex and weren't afraid to ask at smartsex.org sign up for our newsletter and we'll tell you when and where the next smart sex salon is happening <laughs>